If you've had automating your ASP.NET deployments on your to-do list, now's a great time to give Octopus Deploy a try. The Starter Edition lets you install Octopus on your own infrastructure and deploy to IIS web servers, Azure websites, and pretty much anything from Node to Kubernetes, and they just made it free for small teams. Give your team a single place to release, deploy, and operate software with Octopus Deploy. Find out more at octopus.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're still here, man. We're going to be here for a while. Still doing the thing with the stuff. Digging deep. Digging in. Having fun. Digging in for the winter. Yeah, it's come on hard, hasn't it? Yeah. Now, of course, we're time shifting again. We're recording this at the end of October for publication at the end of November, so goodness knows what happened in the past month. Yep. But it was very much a, I'm walking around in shorts, boy, it's nice out, you know, Indian summer kind of thing, to holy crap, what happened? <laughs> you know, the, uh, the joke of COVID is that everybody lives on Zoom and they're asking each other whether they're wearing pants. Right. Right. And I'm not wearing pants right now. It's like the yeah, joke, right? It's just, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I can say I'm not wearing pants when I do blazer train. I'm wearing sweats, but I right. am covered. Yes. Unlike, you know. Not hanging out. No. So Why speak. would you want to do a Zoom meeting in a leather chair with no pants? That just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. There's- yeah. Put on, put on some clothes. It's usually not that hard. They might, it can be yeah. comfortable clothes. Like I am very happy wearing my fuzzy slippers. Yeah. Pajamas, fuzzy slippers. Just, you yeah. know, I don't want to hear your thighs sticking to the leather chair when you get up to get a glass of water. I don't want to hear that. I got the air on chair. So it just leaves accordion prints on your legs. You don't want that either. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's get started with a little thing called Better Know Framework. Roll the music. Awesome. <laughs> Hi, man. What do you got? Well, you remember last week I told you that the, the piano from Pop Studios came to my house. Yeah, it's it's in the house now, right? Yep. And uh, I've been even composing some music, actually arranging some stuff for the band uh, on a on tablet. And, uh, you know, we're I'm just really enjoying having it in the house. But I have some great memories of this piano. And one memory I'm going to share with you on YouTube it's from uh, 2008, and this is sort of right as the studio is being finalized. You can see, like, the, the insert, the inserts in the windows weren't even covered yet. Right. And um, this is when uh, the Guard Theater hosted a very famous jazz piano player, Cyrus Chestnut. And uh, my brother and I got to talking to him afterwards. I remember we went over to Hannafin's, had a beer. We were talking music. Ended up going up to the studio and he was just sort of loving it. And, you know, I said, hey, come back next day and I'll, you know, videotape you and maybe do a little interview or something. So, I asked him to play, uh, you know, something classic from his repertoire. And uh, I'm going to share with you now the video on YouTube that he played um, by himself on the piano and made it sound so good. Hmm. So, this is... uh, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Thank you. 
Yeah, so good. The other thing about Cyrus that um, really got me listening to him was his reinterpretation of Vince Guaraldi, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. That is a staple album in my house. Yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. Really good stuff. So anyway, it's, uh, you know, this, this time of year is coming up and just... Uh, makes me think of that when i look at the piano that that's one of them the moments that stands out anyway that's what i got richard who's talking to us today Uh, i jumped into the wayback machine uh because i knew we were going today talking to sean so i jumped back to the show we did with him in 2015 episode 1174 so 650 episodes ago or so Entitled Back from the Road, which, if you recall, was when Sean and his wife took off for an entire year traveling around the world, uh, doing talks in different parts of the world and exploring things. And then he had a little accident. Yeah. And uh, I think it was Thailand managed to break his arm and so came on home. And so our reaction to, oh, good, you broke your arm. Come on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Although we had a great conversation about the different cultures around software development and and so forth. And to me, it feels like that show might have been the catalyst for a lot of things, including the film. I mean, the podcast had already started then, the 100 episodes talking to different developers. Uh, This particular comment, though, comes from Darren, and admittedly five years ago, where he said, I love this episode. Humans write code and the world is full of many different types of humans. The geek out about cultures, travels, toys, and technology is an important part about sharing ideas and recharging your batteries. And Sean really brings it home when he says, there's also the rest of your life. Uh, and then <laughs> we d- we ended up talking a lot about virtual reality, which is hilarious when you think about talking about virtual reality in 2015. Like, it just yeah. seems so long ago. Right. right. Compared to what's going on in VR right now. Uh, and, and I think ultimately augmented reality being the more important kind of conversation about will we code in 3d you know uh, what kind of interactions are we going to have like how does this actually deliver something meaningful uh which i think here we are five years on is still a big question mark but uh, to me this you know choosing to live uh and choosing to explore to do more stuff is one of the things i really enjoyed about sean and so i appreciated darren bringing that up and uh so i wanted to read it so, Darren, uh, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code by, it's on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. 
And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. But I'm dumb. Job. I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It's not right. Some days I'm just not prepared to come to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some days the work just comes to me. All right. What well, are you anyway. to do? Sean, it's been a while since you've been on the show, so I'll read your bio again. Sean Wildermuth has been tinkering with computers and software since he got a VIC-20 back in the early 80s. As a Microsoft MVP since 2003, he's also involved with Microsoft as an ASP.NET Insider and Client Dev Insider. He's the author of over 20 Pluralsight courses. He's written eight books, uh, an international conference speaker, and one of the wilder minds. You can reach him at his blog at wildermuth.com. He's also making his first feature-length documentary about software developers today called Hello World, The Film. And you can see more about that at helloworldfilm.com. Welcome back, Sean. Thank you. I I appreciate you having me back. I figured after you'd heard me uh, tell every other story I had that uh, uh, (laughs) I didn't deserve to be back. (laughs) Eventually, it runs down, right? It does. It does. <laughs> well, you got to uh, go out and do new adventures. At, absolutely. Uh, well, congratulations. You're on the board, the .NET Foundation board. Now you're in trouble. Yeah, now I'm in real trouble. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know what I was getting in, myself into, but it's it's been a interesting learning experience, and, and uh, uh, we've uh, been able to accomplish a couple of things early on, but a lot of it is more long-term planning. I'm actually on the outreach committee uh, mm-hmm. to try to help you know, uh, not only bring more people to .NET, um, but also just uh, one of the, the goals that the committee has is to go out and find people in underserved communities that are doing great .NET stuff and sort mm. of uh, celebrate them more. I think that, you know, when you're in sub-Saharan Africa or you're in Southeast Asia, sometimes uh, it gets overlooked because you're not in North America or uh, right. Western Europe. And um, and so the, we we've taken that on as a as a a goal of well, ours. Well, I hope you'll pass some of them over to us if they got a great story. I'd love to make a show. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we're working right now and and pu- putting together a, a a plan, and we've got some contacts in some of those parts of the world to try to see what they what what they need from the foundation and and how mm-hmm. we can celebrate them more and uh, I'll certainly share them with you guys. It's a great, great thought, right, that we keep thinking about in terms of the foundation growing up very much in the developed world part, right? You know, the west. And yet .net's used everywhere and I bet they have very different needs in more developing nations. It it becomes uh, stark to me because uh uh you know, I'm a I'm a white North American dude. Like I I I, mm-hmm. I know who I am. And the board is made up of uh, uh, not that diverse group. And, and yeah. I'm not really mm-hmm. just talking about women or people of color. I'm also talking about North American. Like, uh, I think six of the seven board members are in North America and the other one's in the UK. Like, right. wow. uh, where's the rest of the world? And some people ran, but they didn't win. And I'm like, yeah. well, that, that also tells me that our membership base isn't diverse either, right? Because they yeah. don't know about, you know, all these great people doing great things across different countries, South America, Central America, uh, in the other parts of the world we've talked about that, you know, are just doing what I think is amazing work. And you can see that when you start to look at sort of the open source community, that isn't as centralized, but we tend to celebrate people who are closer to, you know, Seattle or that are somewhere in Silicon Valley or in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, or London. It's unfortunate. We can do better. We can. We can. Yeah, you know. We'll have to work on that. I, I am fascinated by your Hello World podcast because I know you told me long ago you were only going to do 100 shows. And you're yeah. still not at 100. Like, you're holding off. I or, am. Or is it? What's happening? <laughs> That's a good question. Like, you're you 92. Know? And, and Michaela is an awesome interview. She's been on our show several times. Like, yeah, she was amazing. Over. Good one. And I know uh, you're going to be 100, right? Like, you get to be last because I'm pretty sure I conducted that interview a few years ago. You did. You came through <laughs> and, and uh, came by when I was in uh, uh, BC and um, uh, and interviewed me for that episode 100. And I keep on mm. thinking about how I can sort of make this happen. There's a, there's a list of, of people that I really want on the show, and they're still saying no. And so I keep on dragging my feet like, 
do I just go find seven other people or do I wait until, you know, um, you can win the ones you want to win. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's tough, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, there. Are, there are hard gets like no two ways about it. I, I don't know who's on that seven, but like if one of them is Bill Gates, like good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's that not, is just a but hard I'd love to get. have, I, I would shove one of those seven out for Bill, you know, cause <laughs> you know, <laughs> as an alternate, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'd make an exception for Bill. I, yeah. I have to admit. Okay. Now, um, uh, so I, now that the film is done, uh, I'm going to be focusing more on that before I, uh, because with COVID happening, the next film I'm working on uh, has been sort of delayed until we can actually meet with the interviewees. The um, ne- How long? Yeah, right. You're going to make another, I thought the first film was great education on you shouldn't make a film. Like, I love your dedication <laughs> that you finished this thing. Not another one. Dude, it, how long has it been? Five years. Yeah. Takes me five years to make this movie. Wow. Yeah. From the first, uh, you know, picking up a camera and I did a couple of small local sort of film projects to get my feet wet. Um, and then, you know, so many interviews and, uh, luckily the editor I got really helped me figure out what to do with all this great footage. And, you know, obviously, uh, Richard, you're in the film. Uh, you I have am. some great things to say. Um, and, it's 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 just been a really learning experience because what I thought the film was going to be initially isn't what it is. It it struck when I when you first told me about the film, I thought, hey, this is Hello World, the podcast done in film version. Yeah, which I thought was a fine idea, but that's not what you end up making. No, what's interesting is that during the process of uh, recording the film, my original vision and. Uh, because I changed the vision a little, it did upset some of the backers, honestly. But my original vision was this love letter to software development, that how yeah. it has enriched my life. And I've been super lucky to have gotten uh, into it. And it's it, in many ways, it saved my life. You know, I I was born uh, pretty much in abject poverty on welfare in Brooklyn, New York, and not many prospects. And uh, as someone who's dropped out of high school and college, uh, that's not that doesn't make for a good resume, right? Right. Uh, um, and because I had this early access to uh, uh, software, it opened up this whole world for me. And I wanted to celebrate that story. And I think I do still in the film celebrate that story. But in mm-hmm. the middle of that, I realized that uh, I had missed something. Like I, I. Uh, was looking at some of the press at the time about lack of uh, uh, inclusion and diversity in software development and realized yeah. I'd never worked with an American woman my entire career. And hmm. it wasn't that, that I had never worked with an American woman. I'd, I'd wor- worked with um, um, uh, uh, East Asian women a decent amount uh, from India, from China, from uh, um, Vietnam even. Um, but never an American woman and certainly not an American woman of color. And what bothered me wasn't that that was the case. What had bothered me is it had never even occurred to me to notice. Right. right. It just didn't like, what do you mean? You just didn't notice. And uh, that really shifted my mind about like, this is, this is the more important story to tell. Like, it, you know, I didn't want it to be this like gotcha uh, journalism and and software is evil and all this other like you could very well fall into that well of of trying to be, you know, a, a new special on, you know, this week in so- software development. We find out um, I wanted to really understand what the problem was. And uh, actually, Richard, you were really key in that because you had talked about the history of software development that I didn't really know at the time about mm-hmm. that, like the first eight developers were all women. Right. Yeah. And sort of what happened between then and the eighties when the numbers were abysmal, whereas yeah. just 10 years earlier, uh, they were huge. You know, there, there's were, this great cosmopolitan article from the late sixties inviting Cosmo girls to become computer girls. Like, it wasn't n- not only welcome, but it was almost expected that this was a great career choice for women. And that's sort right. of what happened. Um, yeah. And the ads all targeted boys. Yeah. For those early computers. And there was yeah. also, you know, there are problems in the age- education system as well that that we explore in the movie. And we talked to 
uh, the chancellor of UC Davis. We talked to the, the president of Harvey Mudd College about how they're how they're improving that because what when home computers came in and boys usually uh, gravitated to them because of video games. Video games right. were so masculine at the time that by time uh, people came to college, they um, they had some computer knowledge unless you were someone that didn't touch a computer before then. And, you know, the idea that we are now, that we created a college system that assumed that you knew something about uh, something before you got interested in it, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, when you're going to Georgia Tech for civil engineering, they're like, well, tell me a little bit about how you built Lego and how that relates to your major. <laughs> um, yeah. right? It's a great observation, right? You never would ask that question. No. But in computing, it's completely normal. You're expected yeah. to have already done the work. Um, and, and, and a lot of these things, you know, I don't have an answer to exactly why all this stuff happened, but uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot of little pieces like that. Um, you know, one of the stories we delve into in the in the film not to be too spoilery is that uh, harvey mudd has had this great success going from 15 to 50 percent women in their programs right um Mm -hmm. and a big reason for that was actually changing the way they approached it and taught it and a and a big change was moving from java and c plus plus to python and Hmm. uh there are a number of things they did but part of that was that the uh, the ceremony around C++ and Java, you don't need in Python. And so as a first language, Python is so good because you can get people to see something happen before having to understand these 34 little things that right, you know, right. this is what a compiler is. And all that is, punctuation. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, also, you know, encouragement of people, uh, uh, both women and people of color, because one of the other things that occurred to me while I was looking at the numbers and digging into it was that, you know, we spent a lot of time in the last five years lamenting that 15% of software developers are women and we need to get that number up. Um, but the numbers for, for uh, African-Americans and uh, Latinx people is even lower. It's two and a half and right. three and a half percent. Right. And there have been a um, more than a handful of uh, people of color that have contributed to the history of computer science and computing. Uh, you just don't, you just don't hear the stories, but if you go yeah. looking for them, you'll find them. Yeah. The, the, um, I don't have the names in my head cause I never do have the names, but the guy that invented the computer game cartridge is a man yeah. of color. Uh, the guy who helped find all the financing to create this little company called HP, you may have heard of. Mm-hmm. He was a man <laughs> of color, right? He wasn't Hewlett or Packard. He was the third partner in Hewlett Packard. Um, and it just goes on and on and on. You know, the all the 3D um, uh, computer um, uh, uh, 3D animation that we have in films was started by the the guy who wrote the th- the first renderer for for 3D animation. Like yeah. we we don't we don't talk about these people, but there's tons and tons of people. And you know, not you know when you look when you look back at uh, you know men and women of color, we're just we're just not doing it. And what the other problem there is in the 80s because there was this expectation of maybe having a computer at home. Uh, uh, poverty came into the picture. Like, how do you expect sure. someone to be interested if you expect them to have it? And the percentage of people being able to get into college are low in those communities. And then you add on top of that sort of this expectation of knowing software. Now, I don't want to pretend that I'm not aware of the optics as well. I'm a really white guy. Like I look like <laughs> if you've never seen me in person, I look like the comic book guy, right? I, <laughs> I know who I am. Right. Um, yeah. But because I came up in this, you know, because I feel that I'm really lucky in that I found software and I've found success with it. And it's not like I didn't do hard work, but a lot of it was luck and privilege. If the people that lived next to me in the projects in New York growing up, probably this wasn't even open to them because they didn't look the part. Right. Right. Mm. I walk into a place, even with a substandard um, resume often, and they go, Oh, that guy looks like a software developer. We should hire him. Right. Mm. 
and that and that's a lot of what happened to for me to recognize that yeah i'm really lucky but part of that luck was that i look i I, honestly i look the part right right um and that's that's troubling to me because Mm. you know i i never thought that was the case until i looked at myself in the mirror and that's sort of the other thing that i hope the film does not only do I want to encourage and, and, and talk to people in different communities about this could be a great generationally changing career for you. Like you can change the, you know, the, the trajectory of you and your family with this sort of career, but right. also that I want to look at the developers who think that, you know, I, of course I don't, I'm not biased. And of course I'm not, I don't, I've never hired anyone, you know, uh, I've never uh, been prejudiced against anyone in getting into this career. Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Cause I didn't think I had either. Right. Well, right. And you certainly, you may not recognize it, but you certainly benefited from your privilege. Huge. It's just hugely. that you don't have anybody to compare yourself to that is not privileged because you hang out with other privileged people. And so that there's the blindness right there. It does. Uh, it is. Yeah. You know, the the fact that, you know, I, I certainly went to user groups and was like, oh, look, there's a, uh, there's a recruiter, not a developer. Right. I assumed that the pretty girl in the corner was trying, was, was working for an agency, not a developer just like me. Cause I, you know, right. that was, that was my bias, even though I thought it was innocent at the time, it wasn't, it wasn't. And I hope through the film, you know, it's told sort of my story as the backbone of this, um, that I, I hopefully I'm overcoming that bias. Like, I'm never going to be rid of it. There's always going to be that little reptilian part of my brain that is going to instinctually go there first, but that we can overcome that. And pretending that you don't have any bias, I think, is is the real tragedy there. Yeah, I, I don't know that you overcome bias other than you don't allow the bias to control your decisions. Mm-hmm. That every time you're in a contest of making a decision, you think about it at least twice and say, you know, what am I missing? And, you know, uh, the other problem, which uh, this episode of the podcast has the same uh, problem is, you know, we're three white guys talking about diversity. The options that's there the sub- aren't That's the subtitle great. of today's show. Three okay. white guys talking <laughs> about diversity. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, pre- I don't want to pretend to be the white savior either. Like, I don't. I'm not going right. to cure this. I just want to, um, I just want to take the lid off a little and, and ask people to look at themselves and, uh, you know, and, and applaud a bit that I think we are getting better. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not that simple. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say we're good, but I think we're getting better for no other reason. The the problem is more surfaced. Yes. And, yeah, and I I just find it interesting that you pivoted this piece you were making this this film you were making as you watched what you had made yeah and a lot of that is attributed to you know um uh, interesting film is a little bit like software is if you Mm -hmm. try to do it all you're never going to be good at everything right and right i had to learn oh you know what i need an editor i can't learn how to edit and make this film good i need to right find people that can do the music, even though, you know, I'm, I'm a musician, but I'm not a film scorer, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a different skill set. Um, and on and on and on camera people, you know, yeah. it, it took a, a team to really put this together. But is it uh, also the difference in the mindset too? like your editor, somebody who you could learn to edit, but yeah. by having someone else edit because they're not you, they are going to see your film differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in fact, you know, we had an early cut of the film and my editor's wife uh, was um, was watching uh, my editor sort of review some of the things we were doing. And she was like, mm-hmm. that's a lot of white guys. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Right. <laughs> uh, and, we're, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah we know. Funny and not funny at the same time. Hey, hold that thought, guys, for one minute. Sure. While we pause for this very important message. Hey, Carl here with a very special offer for music to code by. You can now get the whole 20 track collection for $19.99 while electrons last. Go to my new store at pwop.e-junkie.com. That's P-W-O-P dot e-junkie.com and get it now before I change my mind.
All right, and we're back. It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. That's my buddy Richard Campbell. And uh, that's Sean Wildermuth. And we're talking about uh, Hello World, the film, and sort of our role as privileged white guys in at least recognizing what everybody else has been recognizing uh, for maybe hundreds of years, if not uh, resurfacing in the last 20 years. Um, one thing that it, uh, occurs to me in, in all of this, things that I've learned, I've, is that you, you know, when you, when you make a comment or, you know, you, you have a bias and doesn't really affect anybody's life because, you know, it affects you in the fact that you're just making yourself more blind. But you're, you're, you're not, um, just in, in, in having a thought, it doesn't really impact anyone's life. But what does? is when you're in a position of power to hire somebody for a job or to appoint somebody to a position and you and those biases get in the way and you end up not taking the most qualified person for the job or you end up not even considering somebody because of your biases, that's when it really rears its ugly head. And I recently um, saw a photo of uh, President Trump standing with his interns and compared to a photo of President Obama standing with all his interns. And you can see that President Trump's interns are entirely white and President Obama's interns come from all walks of life. And, and therein lies the issue, right? That you're in a position of power where you could give somebody an opportunity and your biases are going to get in the way, and and that's when you're doing real damage to society, and in in allowing your biases to contribute to real problems. But I think it's important to think about it as not just the people in in power. You know, certainly with Obama and and, and Trump, that's the case. But the way that we uh, interview people in in tech is interesting because you sort of have the mm. boss that interviews them and then the team will often interview them. And one of the things teams are often looking for is a uh, culture and fit, right? Yeah. Where are they going to fit in here? Well, that becomes a point of bias that, you know, someone can go, I don't think they're a good fit. Whereas they, you know, whether maybe English isn't their first language or they don't say the right, words or explain the things in the same way. Yeah. And one of the things we explore in the film that I think is so crucial is that these, uh, you know, um, these undiverse teams make worse software. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you ignore social justice, like pretend just for a minute that it isn't the right thing to do. Yeah. We still have a benefit of, of increasing diversity because it, it, it resolves in better software. Uh, we yeah, more points to, of view. Yeah, we were talking to the uh, uh, chancellor of UC Davis, and he was sort of iterating a bunch of projects that were a problem. You know, airbags uh, weren't designed, and they were killing women initially because they had only used male uh, uh, crash test dummies when they designed them, right? Because um, who would have, you know, put a smaller woman in front of a, uh, uh, a, a an airbag? And my favorite one of these is um, that when he goes to uh, airports and washes his hands, he has to turn his hands over because he's a man of color in order for the water to come because it was never calibrated for his dark skin. Uh, yeah. Wow. And that's like, you know, how does that, how does that happen? Like how, what? Yeah. Was there stories no one of the ever connect. on the team? Do you remember when the connect came out and there were yeah. stories of it not recognizing people of color? Well, and yeah, all kinds of facial recognition systems not working with, with right. colored skin. Yeah. Even yeah. the Co Kodak, uh, uh, um, when we used to, uh, for those of you who are old enough, uh, we used to go to uh, drugstores and have them print out our pictures before we could see them when we took photos. Crazy talk. What are you? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> and what? the calibration of those systems was based on a blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman. Right. And so when you look at old photos of people of color, they don't look right because yeah. the that calibration made their faces much harder to see, their skin color much darker. Yeah. And so uh you know, most people have actually seen this effect and they're like, you know, were people in the were or people of color in the 50s darker? No, it's our it's our biased film like <laughs> Yeah. You know? Uh it's it's crazy. Um 
And so having people of different uh, 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 backgrounds and ideas is just so key. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Scott Hanselman in the film talks about, you know, if you're making uh, uh, medical software, do you have people with medical issues on, on the team? If you're making software for the military, do you have people who have been in the military on the team? Like it's not just right. about color and mm-hmm. gender. It's, about all sorts of uh, types of diversity. It's not, it's not right. as simple as saying we have to, you know, raise women to 50% of the workforce and raise, right. you know, African-Americans to 15 or 20, whatever the, whatever the, like, it isn't about those quotas. It's about, we want to, as at least from my view, I want to do a better job of writing software and I can't do it from my one perspective. The, yeah. the, the ch- challenging part I see in this is that lots of folks, when I've you know been brought in on on teams as a consultant, the teams are more concerned about peace, like not disagreeing with each other, they, than they are about managing conflict well. Yeah, you know, and, and I bring up this idea of like nobody made steel without a little heat. Mm. Right. You just not too much heat. And so the, there's a, I think there's a fear of diversity because you're not going to agree. And <laughs> that's the point the, yeah, the, the, all of the assumptions that you're automatically making when you're the, the same, when you're different, a lot of those assumptions don't happen that way. They actually, res- and that's the, where you get better software from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, uh, there's a famous book that I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of it, uh, uh, about Abraham Lincoln's uh, presidency, where he mm-hmm. he brought in people from all sorts of different um, um, views to disagree with him, and that's how you get the right decisions made. And, you know, when I was working on teams, I always said, "I don't have to be of, right." Yeah, the team but of I have rivals to be is heard. what you're talking about. Yes, yeah, the team of rivals. The team of rivals. Yeah, great book. Um, you know. I don't mind if my opinion is wrong or I just want everyone on the team to, to be heard, even if they don't win the argument. And mm-hmm. I think we get into the space of wanting to win the argument so much. Uh, and it's interesting that sort of alpha, um, uh, you know, um, super coder idea we have is such a male view of how the job is done. Mm-hmm. The loudest person in the room wins. Right. And well, and it's a sort of zero sum game in, in, for, in order for me to be successful, you have to be unsuccessful. Kind but of also because that becomes uh, the culture in some places, you get people with great ideas that aren't uh, extroverts, that right. aren't, you know, that don't have those personalities that, that are afraid to talk in those situations. And many mm-hmm. times those are the voices you need. You don't need the same three people on the team leading it in every case, because then all voices aren't heard, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that, that feeds into that whole, you know, hiring for fit more than skill. Right. Um, you know, and, and I don't think we think about it in that sense. You know, there's been a lot of discussion about how many superstars you should hire on a team. And I'm like, well, maybe none. Yeah. Like, you know? Well, A, it's not sustainable. Yeah. Right. And 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 B, yeah, they just squabble anyway, right? And, and yeah. Well, and then really, you talk about constructive conflict versus destructive conflict. Absolutely. We, we, did do a sh- we did do a show a year ago with Lily Dart that I titled, maybe incorrectly, I call it Empathy versus Sympathy. Uh, but it ended up in this conversation about diverse teams. And, uh, you know, maybe we didn't do service to the topic near as well at the time, but it certainly hit me that it's not enough just to include domain experts, you know, folks that, that are reflective of your users, but to actually have that diversity right in the team writing the code, because it will make for better code fairly consistently. Yeah. I certainly think we're in a better place now than we were when I started, which is where you would talk to the users, you would write these gigantic documents and then you would spend four years writing the system and then you would get the user involved, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This iterative process helps that, but it can only be iterative. Uh, I think we can improve our iterations by having, you know, this diversity on, on teams. And that's, you know, that's not a code word for, uh, you know, for getting rid of white guys and, and hiring, black women right it's not that simple it's not that simple you know 
um, when when everybody comes from the suburbs, you get the same um, you get the same ideas in the room, and we want new and different ideas. We at least I do. Um, I get bored, which is why I'm in this uh, job, right? And, right. Uh, having people to, to to open my eyes, even though my instinct is to fight it at first. Like my instinct yep. when someone disagrees with me is my stomach gets into a knot and like, eh. um, but once I get it, I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I could admit I was wrong. <laughs> I wonder if the pandemic has served us in this scenario too. You know, I did a show on run as where we talked to be, where one of the statements the guy made was now that we're all uncomfortable, why don't we talk about uncomfortable things? Yeah. Because <laughs> we nice. certainly are uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Because we're definitely uncomfortable. And so, it's not a bad time to to explore this stuff. But arguably, it's always been a good time to explore it. It's just fewer excuses not to. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? Well, we wouldn't want to upset the status quo. The status quo is upset. Yeah. So, now let's dig in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's been interesting, uh, you know, initially when this, I realized that this was the story of the movie, there was that inclination of like, not wanting to disturb things. Like, I don't want. You had a plan. You recorded to the plan. When you did your interview with me, this was not the plan, right? Like. No. No. And we usually complain about this, right? That creators, reporters, like they take a story and then it. The, the interview that you did with me was not about this, and yet this is what you've gotten from it. So, yeah. is that wrong? Although, I, I don't think it is. Like, you've made a discovery and ultimately re-edited your show to explore that discovery. What what, what I find fascinating by uh, documentary film especially is, is it's, the, it's the same process of software. What you're building in the beginning is rarely what you're really building sure. and, and businesses right. are like this as well. The businesses go, this is my business and this is X, Y, and Z, and this is what I'm going to do. They fail because they don't hear from the customers after they don't respond to the customer and, and go, Oh, that's what you really need. Right. Yeah. I'm going to serve. Well, that. And, how, and how many times have we done this halfway through the, the software project? We finally figured out what we were actually making. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I think that's why I, I'm, I'm still enjoying it. Uh, uh, there's an old adage uh, about film is when you, you when you're making the Avengers or something like that, you film about four minutes of film for every finished um, minute of of of, uh, of the film because you know what right. you're get doing. You can tell the people what to say, like all of that. That's the expectation. In documentary, it's closer to a hundred to one. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so the, those films are made in the edit bay, not not in the interviews or not in the. You know, I kind of feel better about how long I'm taking on the history of .NET because I have that same feeling. Yeah. That I keep finding things in collecting these stories that completely change my mind about what this is about. Hmm. And being open to that change, I think, is good for software development and anything creative. Because uh, that's mm-hmm. the other thing that is important for me to for for people to hear. So we sort of explore this idea that um, software isn't as mathy and sciency as Hollywood or uh, even developers want people to think about. That, sure. that you can be creative and a great developer. You don't need to you know understand Euclidean geometry in order to write a great uh, app or support a great team or help people do great things that it you know uh, uh john romero of of doom fame uh, uh talked about you know it, the, if you want to get all into it you can become all math and sciencey but it's not required no right. it's not needed i I'm, i've always liked the the bridge analogy it's like bridges can be beautiful first they move cars across the river right, right. but then <laughs> on top of that when we talk about a good bridge it has an aesthetic as well it, it has an elegance to it and it is good at all the things it needs to be unless like, there's and, a mothman involved then you know it doesn't matter yeah, different problems but <laughs> it, i think you know it that also brings it back to its engineering but it doesn't yeah. say and just cuz it's engineering doesn't mean it isn't creative yeah and i think we've i think we've sold that incorrectly because uh, we a lot of what software development is doing is isn't trying to 
you know, uh, define things in these minutia ways. It's about helping people. And if we focus on what that it's about, you know, there is some percentage that helping people means increasing sales departments, sales numbers, right? Right. But there's a lot of software out there that, you know, that is helping, you know, find new drugs or improve people's sight or uh, let them enjoy downtime. Like all of that counts. What we, what we, what we think of as what software is, uh, a lot of stuff counts that we don't think about, you know, someone programmed the, uh, um, the stoplights in your town, Yeah. Mm-hmm. how long they go, how to get that feedback loop. Like that's an interesting problem to some people. Yeah. Some people also, you know, designed the, the, uh, the website for Amazon and, you know, they're, uh, they haven't changed anything in 20 years. So, uh, yeah. They, they've re-architected down to the hood. I happen to know that much, but you're yeah, right. It's I'm got sure its own true. aesthetic. But I, you know what? And I really appreciate this, this aspect, Sean, that the other thing about diversity is that you discover that there's, when you have all the same people, they like all the same things and they dislike all the same things, yeah. even things that are important. Hmm. When you have a diversity of people, you often discover that there are things that some people really like that others really don't like. And isn't it great to have the person doing the thing that likes it? Not only will they enjoy doing it, they'll do a better job. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen that with UX and UI in the last 15, sure. 20 years in that, you know, uh, there's a reason that the screens look the way they do on, on old airport uh, 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 terminals, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the only people that were in software development at the time. And certainly technology leads to it. But now that we're in a space where people can design these intuitive pieces and the, and the hardware can actually make that happen, we have all sorts of creative people as part of that process that just like pretty things. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, well, yeah, right. And those pretty things are valuable. You know, we they did are. this show just a couple of weeks ago with Billy. Talking yeah. about UI design that has a straight ROI, that when things delight, when they're gorgeous, when they flow, and people are more productive, that makes money. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. When, when people want to concern, like, how long are they staying on our website? Well, how hard is it to use and how ugly is it? <laughs> that has almost more to do than… Right. Yeah, if your if your metric is is dwell time, you, then you're you could easily be encouraging bad designs. It just takes longer to spend to get anything done. Yeah, you don't realize that the you know by only having one view, you're limiting it to people that only have that one experience with it. Right to, right. to stick around, you know. And so you know the hope is when it when the film comes out uh, in mid December that uh, I just. I just want to open some eyes and hopefully uh, encourage people that aren't in the industry that they can do it. I've had so many conversations with people about like, Oh, I could never do that. Hmm. Really? I, I, I think you're wrong. You know, um, we get caught in this, like, well, you have to have a developer's mind. Maybe you do to, to run the top 20 projects in the world. But as I think, I think this is, actually from you richard in the film software is everywhere it's pervasive you can do mm-hmm. anything you want in this and that that to me is so important to tell people you know if you're you know interested in whatever it is there's software that supports and runs that and so you can use your passion in that and it doesn't have to be this you know geeky nerdy thing in every case yeah yeah that's a great thought Sean, what's uh, what's next? I mean, I know you're working on this new thing, but uh, is there any? Can you? T- yeah, can you tell us? I can't believe you're doing another film. Can you do it? What? Can you talk about the new film? A little bit. Uh, of- I can. I can. The uh, that film is at I'm fine. Dot. Uh, I'm fine. Film. Dot com. I am f i n e f i l m. Dot com. Uh, I thought after tackling such such a lighthearted subject as diversity, uh, that next I would. Um, uh, choose something a little deeper. Uh, I'm actually doing one on childhood trauma of men. Wow. Oh, uh, no. Next. So, <laughs> wow. yeah, my wife was like, seriously? Seriously? <laughs> so, yeah. So, that, yeah, yeah, you just jump deeper, buddy. Like, don't I worry. Did. I'm I fine. Wow. Uh, so, hopefully this one won't take five years. Uh, to complete, Don't we have jinx a, yourself. a good list of, uh, of people to interview if if I can ever get on a plane again. Right. 
Wow. Well, good luck with that. Thanks. Yeah. And uh, be sure to tell us about it uh, next time you come on. I'd be. I'd love to. All right. Thanks a lot, Sean. Uh, It's been great talking to you, and uh, thanks for this really important work. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, giving me the uh, opportunity to talk about it. Uh, It's something that's very uh, near and dear to my heart. You bet. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.